If you're the only one in your book club who wants to read books that will change your life, you need a new book club. And we think you found it. I'm Heather. And I'm Susan. And can we be the first to say, welcome Welcome to to the the club. club. Here we go. Let's keep on going with the consequences of our actions. So last episode, just to recap, God made this Abrahamic covenant and Abraham and Sarah, they doubt God. God gave them some promises, but they decide they're not ready to wait. Now, in Abraham's defense, he was like 80 something years old when he finally had the first child, which, you know, it, well, it if would he be was hard really not analyzing, to doubt. Yeah, if he was really analyzing the word, God said, oh, your son will be your flesh and blood. So he could have been thinking, well, gosh, if I have a child with Agar, it's still my flesh and blood, right? I, I should probably should jump on it, you know? <laughs> I, it probably felt to him like it was dragging on a long time. So yeah. they did what they did. And then Hagar got pregnant with Abraham's first son. And then because of that, she started to mistreat Sarai. And then Sarai No, was, Sarai mistreated Hagar. Both of them were mistreating each other. Oh, yeah, that's true. Yeah, yeah. They, were, they, were, they were both kind of being jerks to Hagar each other. Hagar had attitude, yeah. They were just being kind of nasty to each other. Yes. So Hagar runs away and then God in this really sweet moment meets her, gives her a message, a little bit of encouragement and tells her to do what, in my opinion, would be the hardest thing I've ever done in my life if I was Hagar. Hey, go back to that woman who was mistreating you Mm -hmm. because I've got plans for you, girl. And so she does. She goes back and she ends up having Abraham's Abram at the time's first child, Ishmael. And she gets this promise that Ishmael is going to have numerous descendants, too, and that it'll still be um, the consequences of that decision will go on for a long time. There will be hostility between him and his brothers. And we do see that going on today. So now we'll continue on with uh, Genesis 17, Susan. Yes. And I may give this a really kind of strange title, this episode, like Circumcision and Sorrow, because because we're going to see a couple things happen that are kind of interesting. First, as we open in chapter 17, you're going to feel a little time warped because when we ended just a verse ago in 16, we're told that Abraham is 86 years old when Ishmael was born. And then today in chapter 17, all of a sudden he's 99 and Ishmael's 13. So how do we go 13 years without a word? And was Abraham on or off, up or down on the roller coaster during that time, trusting or doubting? He was, uh, he has this little boy growing up in front of him that is 13 years of, that's 13 years of thinking Ishmael is it. He's the heir. He's the future. He's the promise. 13 years of treasuring this little boy. And I don't know if you're all parents, maybe you're not, but you know, when you have a child, especially at first, it's like this kind of miracle thing and you just instinctually fall in love with them. So if you're 86 and you finally have a child, you're probably falling in love, falling in love, like crazy. You've been waiting so long for a child. It's like probably this precious miracle to you. And then they're growing up and they're strong and they're everything you hope for. And you're thinking, this is my heir. It's no longer my servant. It's this, this kid, Ishmael. Um, I don't know what was going on in those 13 years. Possibly Abraham knew that Ishmael wasn't the one and he just couldn't believe there would be another child from Sarah. Or if he knew he had made a mistake and did it take 13 years to get his heart 
right about this mistake? Uh, Did it take 13 years for him to come back to trusting God, even if it meant this little boy, his only little boy was not the promise. So remember, from Abraham's perspective, he has fallen in love with this child. And for him to backtrack on that and acknowledge that this isn't the child, that there's another to come would have been even harder to believe because he's 99 now. Like in the back of your mind thinking, there's no chance I'm having another child with Sarah. We've been trying for years, decades at this point. So he's in this difficult position. One thing is for sure at this point, time is slipping away. Sarah is 90 and it's time to get back to business. And by that, I mean, back to wherever his heart hasn't been in the last 13 years. So starting in chapter 17, when Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am God almighty walk before me faithfully and be blameless. Then I will make my covenant between me and you and will greatly increase your numbers. The emphasis here is on the requirement. I almost want to imagine that God is saying, okay, Abraham, I am God Almighty. You must walk before me faithfully and be blameless. Like you got to do this, Abraham. I can't use you. We can't wait any more time. You got to get this right. In other words, you must believe everything I tell you and obey me. You just have to give it up and obey. And I don't hear him saying that as like a dictator kind of thing, like do this or else. I hear him saying this kind of like as an encourager, like he was the, God is the ultimate encourager. He, he invented encouragement and he's just trying to be like, you got this, you can do it. You can do it. And you know, you don't really have to do anything except obey me. I'm going to do the rest. Stop doubting and just trust me and um, and and be okay with it. And in this case, it's a really tough be okay because it means he's going to have to give up this dream for this child he loves. Verse three, Abram fell face down and God said to him, as for me, this is my covenant with you. You will be the father of many nations. No longer will you be called Abram. Your name will be Abraham, for I have made you a father of many nations. I will make you very fruitful. I will make nations of you and kings will come from you. I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants after you for the generations to come to be your God and the God of the descendants after you. The whole land of Canaan, where you now reside as a foreigner, I will give as an everlasting possession to you and your descendants after you. And I will be their God. So we had this emphasis on the requirement, Abraham, this is what you must do. And now we have the emphasis on what God is going to do. And there's nothing really new for us here. God is restating everything he said. I'm going to make you the father of many nations. I'm going to give you a new name. I'm going to give you land. I'm going to be your God and you are mine. Now, this new name is just a slight adjustment to make it clear to everyone what I'm about to do. You are going to give it a new name. That's what God's saying. Everything he does has the purpose of helping Abraham remember, because I think that's Abraham's problem. He just doesn't remember. He starts to overthink it. You well, know how people overthink their heads? It's hard to remember things. When you're <laughs> he it. It's hard to remember things. Yeah. So the new name is because remember, Abram 
means exalted father. Abraham means father of many. Remember, Abraham, this is where we're going. You're not just going to be the father of one. You're going to be the father of many. So keep just obeying me. Now, on top of that, he's going to give him this very physical sign of this covenant. And I love kind of the symbolism here, but let's read what it is first. It's circumcision, we know, but let's read how this goes. You love this part? I don't know. Well, I'll I'll tell you why I love it later after you read it. Verse nine. Then God said to Abraham, as for you, you must keep my covenant, you and your descendants after you for the generations to come. This is my covenant with you and your descendants after you. The covenant you are to keep. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You are to undergo circumcision and it will be the sign of the covenant between me and you. For the generations to come, every male among you who is eight days old must be circumcised, including those born in your household or bought with money from a foreigner, those who are not your offspring. Whether born in your household or bought with your money, they must be circumcised. My covenant in your flesh is to be an everlasting covenant. Any circumcised male who has not been circumcised in the flesh will be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. All right. Love this visualness here. Remember, we just had the kind of you will be as numerous as the stars in the sky. So remember back then they didn't have anything written to turn to all the time. And God gave them very physical things as reminders, whether it's that altar they built with rocks to remind them as they walk by, or whether it's the use of, uh, you know, analogies of farming or uh, creation, he had to use these. Well, in this case, the emphasis here is what, what Abraham will do as for you, he says. So we had the requirement for Abraham. Then we had the list of what God was going to do. And now God is saying, here's going to be your sign in this. Here's what I want you to do. Keep the covenant. And as a sign to remind you, you're going to circumcise everybody that is a part of this covenant. In other words, you need a reminder that you are mine. You need a reminder about what this means because you just have a hard time remembering. And I really like that that is like a reminder that's just between you and God, because it's not like this is an external mark that they get that anybody else knows that they belong to God. It's really a personal thing. And that's where I think God really focuses on the heart in the whole Bible. It's it's not something that is we need to show the world that we are followers of Christ. It's just a personal thing between us and him. Okay, so it is very personal. Yes, because it is a personal reminder every time they go to the bathroom, (laughs) if I have to be really specific. But um, but. But if you look at even today in more Orthodox um, temples, the Jews, when a a son is eight days old, the ceremony really involves like they almost like put them on a platter and they, it's it's a very, it's like the whole congregation, you know, watches this offering of this, this uh, circumcision that this child is now part of their covenant community. It is it. But I have a curious thought about these covenant signs that God all always kind of gives them a clear correlation. So think about this. Noah goes through this terrible period of rain and loss on the ark. 
they lose all their friends, they lose their community, everything. And as a correlation, that is a comforting sign, a reminder of God's covenant promise. Every time that rain appears again, he gives them this rainbow. It's like, where is if, if he didn't do that, he may know that, oh, when rain comes, they're going to be like triggered to remember mm-hmm. that loss possibly. And instead, maybe they get triggered to, about that loss, but then the rainbow appears and they get comforted by God's promise of why they had to go through that pain and loss. Abraham uses this male reproductive organ to produce a son through Hagar. Wrong. It creates consequences forever. Again, pain and suffering is going to come from that. So to remind Abe that God is going to fulfill the promise of an heir God's way, that same organ is going to be circumcised as a sign of the covenant. Like, remember, you, this thing is is for one purpose. <laughs> Producing an heir. And heir is there. This circumcision on, in Abraham's part would have been a daily reminder to all the Israelites that the Lord would keep his promise to increase their offspring his way. It's like he's just saying this time, use it wisely. No. Yeah. This, you know what? Go where I tell you to go and don't go anywhere. It had to be. And here's the other thing. It had to be a really painful reminder. Yes. Now, it's my understanding when an infant is circumcised, it is not that painful. I don't know if maybe or the nerve endings are ourselves because we both have boys. Yes, we have boys. And so, but think about it. These are adults being circumcised. And I don't know how sharp the knives are. I don't know what kind of antiseptic they had. I don't know. Okay, we're getting deep. But can you imagine telling, remember, Abraham won a war against four kings. He's got a lot of men in his household. They've got male servants that they've accumulated from other people's. I mean, this this is this is not a little thing he's telling them to do. It's a big deal. Uh, but think about this, the painful wars that are going to be brought about because of Abraham's lack of faith in conceiving Ishmael, i.e. the battles that are going to be fought between Isaac's people and Ishmael's people does not compare to any pain they suffered yeah, being and, circumcised. And Isaac is the son that he's about to have with Sarai, just for people who have read Correct. So I think God was saying, look, this is, this is going to be a painful reminder to all of you. But it doesn't compare to the pain that's caused when you go outside my covenant with you. And it's also a visible branding or mark of ownership that set them apart from other people. And he says he uses that cutting off. And if somebody doesn't keep this covenant, they are to be cut off, just like God cuts off that flesh in this covenant. Lastly, it was a visible symbol as painful cutting away that they would observe every time that baby was eight days old. So again, they're going to have a remembrance of this with every child that is born. Like I mentioned, that if they didn't keep the covenant, they would be cut off from his blessing. And that would be eternally more painful than any pain they endure. So all the way around, it's like this perfect reminder um, to Abraham of everything God commanded him that he didn't listen to. One day in Bible book club, we will get to the new Testament. We're going to be 99 like Abraham is. No, we're not. We're going to be much faster than that. But until then, if you read Colossians 2, I want you to understand what it is saying. And Heather's going to read it for us. And then I'm going to give you a short oversight. Verse 11. In Christ, you were also circumcised with a circumcision not performed by human hands. Your whole self was ruled by the flesh and was put off when you were circumcised by Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through your faith in the working of God. 
God who raised him from the dead. So if you never knew this story of circumcision, you'd probably be a little bit confused by this analogy. But remember, in Colossians, the Jews would have understand this. In the original covenant sign of circumcision, they cut off the flesh and become God's people. With the new covenant, remember, all things in the old covenants were replaced by Jesus. He fulfilled all the old covenants, including this one. The circumcision is a spiritual cutting off of sin. So when we believe in Jesus Christ, there's this cutting off of our old way, our old life, our old tendency to want to sin. And Christ does that cutting off for us through his sacrifice on the cross. Then baptism is the sign that we have been made new in Christ and belong to him. So the new mark that we are believers is that mark of the Holy Spirit that we receive after baptism versus, you know, oh, hey, let me see if you've been circumcised. (laughs) I don't even want to think about them checking through that. Let's continue on. Let's continue. So there you go. If you read that verse in Colossians, that's what that means. All right. Now, moving on to Abraham, how does he respond? Verse 15. God also said to Abram, as for Sarai, your wife, you are no longer to call her Sarai. Her name will be Sarah. I will bless her and will surely give you a son by her. I will bless her so that she will be the mother of nations. Kings of peoples will come from her. All right. So let's talk about her name, Sarai and Sarah are really different forms of the same Hebrew word that basically mean both of them mean princess woman of strength. It is likely though that Sarai is simply the possessive form of Sarah, my Sarah. So, um, so it wasn't really the same. It wasn't really the same as Abram getting a new name, Abraham, which really changed. It symbolizes the change from his old life to his new. It wasn't the same for her. I didn't know that. Correct. Bible bender. Mm -hmm. Verse 17. Abraham fell face down. He laughed and said to himself, will a son be born to a man a hundred years old? Will Sarah bear a child at the age of 90? And Abraham said to God, if only Ishmael might live under your blessing. Then God said, yes, but your wife, Sarah, will bear you a son and you will call him Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his descendants after him. All right. So let's talk about Abraham's response because uh, God does not chastise him for laughing. And we're going to find out, I think, next chapter that he is going to kind of chastise Sarah for laughing. So two different kinds of laughter. Abraham first falls down. And when somebody in in their culture falls face down, it is a it, it's a position of honor. They're honoring the other person. And so Abraham does believe we know that's why he's getting to have this covenant. He is finally, after 13 years, gotten his heart right about that. It's not Ishmael. It's going to be somebody else. I did it wrong again. And he falls down honoring God. And it says he laughs to himself in joy. Like, oh my gosh, she's really going to have a child. This is going to happen. It's like he believes it. And like that, you know, how you just get that kind of uh, euphoria in your spirit when you really believe something and Mm -hmm. it just delights you. That's kind of the laugh he's having contrasted to Sarah's laugh, which is going to be of disbelief. Like, yeah, right. Ha ha. She's going to have that more kind of laugh. And that goes again to that theme of God caring about what's in your heart. God sees the heart, not anything else. And it's why Isaac's name means he laughs 
because it is a laughter of joy. Like, oh my gosh, it's really going to happen. I am 99 years old and it's really going to happen. And you can kind of hear that in um, this kind of stream of consciousness. Will son really be born to a man 100 years old? Will Sarah really bear a child? And then you hear this quick change. And I don't know if your mind jumps like mine, but I have often had this like euphoric joy and then got, oh, but if only, you know, and especially when you think of your children. Mm -hmm. And in this case, his stream of consciousness. Oh, you know, because he's got this euphoric. I'm going to have a son with Sarah and he's going to be blessed. He's going to be many nations. And I believe it with all my heart. It's going to be amazing. And then he remembers this other child that he loves. And I have five kids and they're all really different. And you want these magnificent things for other, for all of them, but it comes in spurts. And sometimes you can have one in this just amazing season of life and another in just the worst. And you can't, well, you want to celebrate the one in this beautiful, it it pains you because the other one is in this contrasting season. And this is where he's going in his head. And he thinks if only Ishmael could be a part of it too. And it's so such a great picture of how Abraham truly is the perfect father of fathers for all of us. He felt like this with Lot. He felt like it even with his servant. He had this special relationship. He very much owns these younger men that he takes under his wing, whether they're blood relatives or not. And, uh, you know, for years, he thought Lot was going to be that that kid. And now he has Ishmael, who he thinks is that kid. And then he finds out, no, it's going to be another one. And so he petitions God in his heart for a blessing for Ishmael. And that is all we can do as parents for all of our kids is, is know that God has a calling for all of them. It's going to look different. And in this case, it is very different. But God's response is so tender. Verse 20. As for Ishmael, I have heard you. I will surely bless him. I will make him fruitful and will greatly increase his numbers. He will be the father of 12 rulers and I will make him into a great nation. But my covenant will establish with Isaac, whom Sarah will bear to you by this time next year. When he had finished speaking with Abraham, God went up from him. I have heard you. I will surely bless him. Like, of course, Isaac, I'm going to bless him. I think God was saying here, hey, I love him too. He wasn't my plan, but he still loved. Mm -hmm. And, you know, just like Hagar and so many of us are adopted into God's plan. We're not Jesus to God. We're adopted. And I have biological and adopted kids. And that is always the greatest picture to me is Jesus was God's one and only son. And then he chose to adopt all of us. And there is a specialness in both types of relationships. And I think you see here God saying, you know, I I love, I see your love for Ishmael. Hey, he was saying to Hagar, I see your love. I see your, I see you, Hagar. You are not my plan. Uh, but I love you and I see you and I hear you and I will surely bless him. In Genesis 25, we're going to hear more about briefly the 12 tribes of Ishmael. Isaac gets 12 tribes and Ishmael gets 12 tribes. And God was pretty fair about that. The Ishmaelites were a nomadic nation who dwelt in the untamed country of Shur, which is presently located in Saudi Arabia. This is the beginning of the other Middle Eastern Abrahamic religion, the Islamic religion, which of course are the Muslims. 
There are, I think I've said this before, I'll say it again, because surely this lesson comes in all over. There are three great religions that came from Abraham. Christianity today is the largest and Islam is the second. Judaism is the third. And um, and so it is just very interesting to me that this one man, Abraham, to whom righteousness was credited, despite all his mistakes, fostered three distinct religions. And that's why we talk about the Middle East just being the hotbed of spiritual warfare. He's the ultimate patriarch. He is the ultimate patriarch. And God does indeed bless Ishmael's descendants. God blesses all of his sons who he He cares about and loves. And so if you can take anything from this story where we are at this point, it is this. Regardless of the decisions you make, there will still be consequences, most definitely. But God will still redeem those decisions. And regardless of the consequences, he will still bless you as long as your heart, you turn towards him and turn from the old you, get that new name, just like Abraham, and then forge forward under his authority. If you keep that hope, he has a plan to prosper us despite ourselves. He's going to work it all to good. Are you going to trust or are you going to doubt? Verse 23. On that very day, Abraham took his son Ishmael and all those born in his household or bought with his money, every male in his household and circumcised them as God told him. Abraham was 99 years old when he was circumcised and his son Ishmael was 13. Abraham and his son Ishmael were both circumcised on that very day. And every male in Abram, Abraham's household, including those born in his household or bought from a foreigner, was circumcised with him. All right. This happened immediately. On that very day is how this verse started in 23. Abraham obeys fully by circumcising the entire household. Again, the man has some uh, swag because to get to get all those people circumcised on that very day is pretty impressive. Um, and on that very day, Abraham and his entire family are further set apart physically as a member of God's covenant. That's this true. phrase. That's a Bible bender. Cause could you imagine that conversation, like going to all those men and being like, Hey, Hey, I heard from God. Line up, sharpen the knives. Oh. <laughs> We're doing this. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He had some authority for sure. This phrase on that very day is also used to describe Noah's entrance to the ark, an extreme act of obedience, and Israel's exodus from Egypt. Again, another massive, extreme act of obedience. And all of them would have been in the face of fear. Because think about it. Circumcision, the knives. What if we get an infection? What if we die? What if you slip and I can't have kids anymore? I mean, who knows? But fear. For a man, fear. (laughs) It's then you think of, in the Bible book club. You think then Noah, oh my gosh, we are going to get in this thing and hope it floats and float. What does that mean? Um, you know, with all these animals in it, fear. And then you think of Israel's exodus from Egypt. We are going up against the Egyptians. We are nothing but slaves. We have nothing. And, and we're going to believe Moses and all just like try to leave. They're going to come after us and kill us. So the, I, I do think the reason that God uses this phrase on that very day is a direct contrast to all these impulsive things Abraham's done where he really didn't think about it and disobeyed. And in this case, he doesn't think about it. He obeys. He just excuse. And this is the new Abraham. 
I'm going to trust. I'm going to obey. I'm not going to think of a way around this. I'm not going to think of a way to delay it a few days. I'm going to do this. And you're going to see in, in even further verses that Isaac does not inherit um, as much of Abraham's tendency to doubt. Isaac, when it comes to the sacrifice of his own son, really goes to bat and just trusts and obey. And so this is a lesson Abraham learned after years. And this is why this son, Isaac, is not born to him until he's 99, because he made some mistakes along the way. And God like a good parent said, you're going to learn from your mistakes and it's going to take you a heck of a lot longer than I planned, but this is the way we're going to do it. Like the events I mentioned, Noah's getting on the ark and Israel's exodus, Abraham's obedience, all three of these acts of on that very day, taking action are another step for us toward our salvation and God's ultimate plan to renew his creation. With every one of these steps, the story of this greater book, the Bible gets closer to that ultimate fulfillment of all these covenants in that one covenant that Jesus Christ makes for us. Does that make sense? So we can be really grateful that Abraham got his act together. He owned that new name. His old life's behind him and he is forging on and that's what you do too. And that physical covenant, we have that covenant too in the gift of the Holy Spirit. And we've got to acknowledge it every day. We've got to rely on it. We've got to choose to see it. Be the one, like you said in the last chapter, be the one, I now see the one who sees me. See that circumcision of our heart. Remember it so we can make the right decision. Just like being physically circumcised helps them make the right decisions. All right. So if you're enjoying the Bible Book Club, please Shout it out, leave a review on whatever platform you're listening in, subscribe and share this podcast with your friends, your family, create a small group. It's more fun to talk about these things with other people, to talk about them in community. Tell them what your Bible bender is every single episode, because I know you have some, we have some too, because if you're listening to Bible Book Club, you're our people. We have Bible benders. So leave a review, subscribe, share. What's a club without friends? If you're enjoying the Bible Book Club, why don't you share it? And then you can say, Welcome Welcome to to the the club. club. New episodes drop every Monday and get all episodes now on Amazon Music. As always, head over to susanme.com slash Bible Book Club for show notes from today's episode. Bible Book Club is hosted by Susan Merrill and Heather Rubio. Edited by Buck Buchanan. Produced by Haley Mawatt.